dear Heavenly Father, uh, this day is a day that you've made. You've brought us all here today. And Lord, we're here to meet with you. So Lord, all of our lives, all of our cares, we just lay it down here at your altar. We say, this is all we have to give you, is what you've given us, Lord. We just, we don't know what to give to a God who has everything. But we do know this, that you have things to give. You, you, you just expect us to come to you. You expect us to believe, to have faith, to love you back. And so Lord, let us do that today. Lord, let us receive from you what you have for us. Let us give to you what we have to offer. And Lord, we're, as we prayed about earlier, we just don't want to be the same as we, we came in today. There are things that you're shaping, you're shifting, you're speaking. And Lord, we want to receive that. And we may be so bold, we want to receive all of it. So Lord, what we can, what we can take today, let us receive it. And maybe even a little bit more. Let us get a little risky with our faith. Let us push into you just a little bit more. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, my understanding is this is the most popular favorite day of church in the whole year. And you guys know why that is? It's because you woke up an hour earlier just to get to church today. Okay? And then on top of that, you know, I was told to bring the, the heat, you know, so I thought, I'm just going to crank up the heater, right? And then they're going to be hot for sure, right? And so uh, spiritually it might happen, okay? But I'm just telling you physically, I'm doing my best. So if you can come to church and receive something when you are tired and you are hot, Man, the mission field is going to be easy, right? Like this is going to be a piece of cake, okay? So, uh, so anyway, I hope you are blessed today. I just, I don't know, for those of you who've had a chance to prepare a message, whether it's a small group or even with the kids or whatever, um, I just feel like God shows you a million things, right? And so I just want to share all a million things with you. But I don't think I'm supposed to do that because that would take, you know, it took me about a week to figure this out, right? So I don't know that we have a week together. So I'm going to try to condense it as best we can. So um, the other thing I, I, I did... I did not want to miss was um, we had a wonderful night of worship on Friday. So it was just such a blessing. Okay. And I just, I just want to tell you, uh, you guys just don't know what you're, <laughs> I mean, I, I was just joyful that whole time we were in uh, maybe I'll laugh, I'll cry. I don't know what I'm going to do, but um, I just want you to know the, the magnitude of what that does like in pastor games, right? It's almost like uh, you exponentially tr crank up the, possibility in him <laughs> so it's really a blessing I'm gonna let him speak on it I can't I can't do justice for it but I can just tell you um, there's just a lot of good things happening you know and again I'm not trying to make this more than it is but I just don't want to miss what's happening either right so some really good stuff and so my encouragement to you is to continue to pursue God Amen. genuinely right we're not trying to manufacture anything we're just trying to come as we are and let God shape us so um, now, there is a rumor going around, uh, or at least I heard a rumor, right? I don't know if it's true, but, um, but I want to clarify the rumor. So for those of you uh, who don't know, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I'm not supposed to laugh at myself, but I'm, I'm doing that. Um, <laughs> okay, that's, that's your cue that a joke might be coming, because I'm laughing. Okay, um, okay now, but the, <laughs> and, and he, like, he didn't even know there was a church, right? He didn't even know what to do, you know, and, and he said, I, I just consume this thing, and, and again, he's not a, he's not a, he didn't do it all himself, right? He, he said, I really needed a pastor. I really needed a local church, but he didn't even know those things were possible. And so that was just something that he said. He said, every Christian needs a church. Every Christian needs a pastor. And so, um, so anyway, I just want to just, you know, uh, and we're going to talk about this too, but just continue to pray to God, you know, for the, the church leaders and the pastors that they would, 
they would lead the people the way that God needs them to, to be led. And I'll tell you personally, um, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and then I hear Pastor James preach, it's like, whoa, there's so much more going on there that you've explained it so well. And so it's such a blessing when we have our senior pastor leading us. And it's, it's almost like a fast forward. Like we get, to, <laughs> we get to take the journey as quick as he's taking it, so to speak, right? Like he leads us. And, it's, and so, so pastors are a wonderful thing. Okay, so we are in a journey, uh, excuse me, on a series called Journey to Promise. And so we're going to go through a couple of things today. We're going to be in Exodus 14 and 15. And uh, I'll tell you, I got a, a renewed appreciation for this part of scripture. Uh, but just big picture, this is where uh, the people are going to cross the Red Sea. Uh, and then they're going to sing a song about it too, right? And we're, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but leading up to this, do you guys remember uh, God, God's people were prisoners, right? They were forced laborers in Egypt. And so God raised up Moses and he said, hey, would you just go tell Pharaoh and say, let my people go? And what did Pharaoh say? He said, take a hike. I'm not letting them go, right? They're going to stay with me. This, these are the people who are building my kingdom. Why would I let them go? And then there's something called the 10 plagues, right, which Pastor James has led us through. And yet that still was not enough. The 10 plagues was still not enough, right? And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But at this, so this is the point in scripture. They have now been taken, um, been released from captivity, and so much so that the Egyptians said, here, take our stuff, right? And God promised that, that they would get these um, blessings, right? And, and then go, okay, go worship, because the 10th plague was, was a pretty rough one, wasn't it? It was the loss of the firstborn, right? And it wasn't just their kids, it was also their livestock, too. Which, again, I, I mean, people are way, in my opinion, you know, more, more valuable than animals, but, but still a heavy loss for everybody, right? And so this is kind of the scene but where we're starting uh, this morning. And then uh, in addition to that, in, in chapter 13, Pastor James led us in uh, the preeminence of Christ. And all that means is that God is first in everything, right? And just how we're supposed to think of him that way, how he approaches us that way, right? When we talk about Jesus and he, when, when he paid for our sins, did he pay for us with something that was not, not worth anything, something that was worthless? Or did he pay for us with something that was the most valuable? Right? And so what I'm saying, in other words, is he was willing, and he did, send his, his son to die for us. Right? There is nothing more precious than Jesus and his blood. Right? He's willing to do that. And so this, this uh, idea of first giving God the best, because he gives us his best. Okay, let's get into the, the scripture here. and um, We're going to be in Exodus 14, and we're going to start uh, through verse, verse 1. And so this is, uh, the, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Haroth, uh, if I'm saying that right, uh, forgive me if I'm not, between Migdal and the sea, in front of uh, Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So God's telling the people where to go, but he's also saying turn back and, and to encamp in a certain place. And then why is he doing that? In verse 3 it says, for, for Sarah, um, excuse me, for Pharaoh will say it of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Okay, so I just want to get you an idea. God's, he's set them free. He's telling them where to go, but he's actually saying, kind of do like, uh, like you don't know where you're going kind of thing, right? Like you're going to kind of go in a circle. You're not going to go in a direct route. So this is, what I, all I want you to get from this is God has a plan. He's doing something. He's setting the stage, right? And so things are about to fall into place here real quick. And then it says, and in verse 4, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory, some other translations say, I will get honor over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, I, you know, I don't know about you. Pastor James, says he did a really good job of explaining the hardening of the heart. And he, would, he gave us a couple examples. He said, well, sometimes Pharaoh himself was hardening his heart. Sometimes God was hardening Pharaoh's heart. And he said sometimes his heart was just hardened on its own. Like it just, you know, it just, it just kind of happened. And so this is one of those examples where we see, it says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Who's the I in that sentence? God. That's God, yeah. And so, I don't know, with those kind of verses, sometimes I struggle, right? Like, I'm like, why would, why would you do that? You know, why wouldn't you give him his choice? Uh, but there's so much going on here. I hope we can unpack it a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's actually okay to have some tension when you're reading the Bible. It's actually okay that we don't necessarily um, understand or completely agree with everything. We're supposed to wrestle with our faith. And so that's actually a good thing. And he says he's going to get glory from the Egyptians. And so let's, let's continue on in verse 5. And it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? You know, when that 10th plague happened, what did they say? They said, go, leave. Like, this, there's, this is enough. Like, we just can't take this anymore. But now they have a change of mind. It was like, what have we done? Why did we let Israel go? And so, you know, they're, they're scared, they're mourning, they're going through a couple things. Now, um, so in verse 6, and it says, So he, this would be Pharaoh, made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And for those of you guys, you know, who know Air Force One, this would be considered Chariot Force One, right? This would be the special chariot, right? This would be decked out. He'd probably have a little cup holder, right? And, um, and, and my think, he would have a seatbelt too, right? He, safety first, right? He would be doing all these things. So this would be a sweet ride, right? This is the top one. And then um, I know, you know, you guys like jokes, right? So on the side, it probably says, like, walk like an Egyptian, you know? And so I thought I, thought I would demonstrate that for you. I, I'm pretty sure that's how they walk, one foot in front of the other, just like that. So that's how they would do that. Okay, and then he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. So he's not just taking anybody from the military, right, his army. He's taking the top of the top, right? You know, this would be... If you're going to get something done right and you're going to do it well, this is who's going to go. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Do you guys see a pattern here? This hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out. It says defiantly. And that, that word kind of, you know, some other translations say that they were going out boldly. They were going out triumphantly. They were going out with great power. They would even say a, a high hand. I don't know if they would do this, but, you know, victoriously in boldness. So the people of Israel, I mean, excuse me, the Egyptians, they saw the people of Israel leaving, but kind of in a way of celebration, right, in a way of victory. And the Egyptians, they pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And what did they do? They overtook them. Encamped by the sea, that's your favorite word, right, Pi Hahirath, in front of Baal Zephon. And so here is Israel. They've escaped. But in a very short amount of time, guess who's right on their tail now? Right? The Egyptians, not just any Egyptians, the army, not just any part of the army, the best, right? The top of the army. And so it's as if their past has already caught up with them. Right? They're trying to move forward, but right on their tail is their past that's chasing them. 
And in verse 10 it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So I just want to uh, park on this for just a moment, but when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, right? And so what would this be an example of is, is they were looking around. They were paying attention to what's going on, right? They could see that the Egyptians were coming after them, okay? And, and in my opinion, that's a good thing. You want to know where you're at. You want to know your atmosphere, right? You want to know what's going on. And so they're doing that. Because when you know what's going on, you kind of know how to respond, right? You know how to... Uh, be prepared, right? You, you know you gotta, you got to step up in certain areas. So my question is to, to us, to you, is are we, are we looking? Are we paying attention to what's going on in our lives, right? The things that are happening in our homes, in our household, in, in our own personal lives. And are we prepared for what's happening? And what, how did they respond when they saw this? Well, they feared. Do you guys think they had a good reason to be afraid? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, all these things. And when they were afraid, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord. And I think that is an amazing thing to do. If ever you find fear in your life, which as humans, I think that's what happens to us, <laughs> where do we go? We go to God as quick as possible. Man, things are going to go good, right? That's our next best step that we can take. Now let's talk about why they might be afraid. I'm, I'm assuming you guys might have some ideas. But let me just ask you, what, why would they be afraid? What do you guys think? Okay, yeah. There is a very strong army that is right there. <laughs> and guess, guess, who, guess who they have? They have women. They have children. They have all of the Egyptians' valuables, right? They're way down there carrying all that stuff, right? They're carrying all the stuff that they have. I mean, I'm, you know, traveling is wonderful, but who likes to travel around an airport with a, a rolling case, right? And think about these guys. They're just walking in the desert with everything that they own, and then more because they've been blessed with the, you know, the, you know, kind of the valuables from, from Egypt. And so you're talking about civilians versus an army. That's not a good mix, is it? Right? That's not really a fair fight. And then on top of that, the Egyptians, they kind of have a reason to be pursuing them, right? They have a, a vendetta, if you will, right? They, they want to get revenge. You, you know, and, and this is one thing, too. It's just, it's just fascinating. I, I, maybe you guys have seen this, but I didn't see it until studying it this time. But I just think, what did the Hebrew people do to the Egyptians to deserve the treatment they got, right? And I know sometimes you can kind of look at it in a small picture, a big picture. But they cried out to God. They say, God, we, we need you, right? And he comes and he frees them but the Egyptians continue to take it out on God's people, right? What did they do? You know, I just, and again, I'm not saying that I have the answer. I just, you just, it's okay to question this, right? It's okay to think, what is going on? Why are the Hebrew people, Israel, getting this type of treatment? And so in their mind, they're probably thinking, maybe they're afraid of making a mistake. Maybe they should have just stayed where they were. I mean, you know, again, being forced labor is not the greatest thing, and they're going to talk about it a little bit later, but maybe being alive is better than not being alive, right? You know, those are some of the questions that they have. And so they might have just been afraid of, of not making the right choice, right? And so I think sometimes we get in those situations. You know, we're talking about fear and, and, and why we would be afraid. And again, so fearing for their life, I think that's actually healthy, right? We don't want to do something where we lose our life because we're just 
not afraid of it, if you will. But um, so if fear leads us to safety, if fear leads us to God, it can be good, right? And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more. But ultimately, they're feeling trapped, right? They know that they have this pursuer that's coming after them. And ultimately, you know, if you take this picture, like Pastor James would say, is Egypt is a type of the world, right? It shows what the world values, what it thinks. And when it comes to, uh, in this particular thing, that represents, Egypt represents their slavery, right? It represents their oppression. It represents their old life. It represents their old identity. And it's pursuing them. The old identity does not want to let go of them. But, you know, when it comes to God, our, our old identity doesn't define us. Especially when it comes to Jesus, right? He, he gave his life for us, and he says that old life doesn't hold us back, right? I have a new life for you. The old man has passed away. The new man is coming to life. Now, I got a question for you. Do we, does anybody here get afraid? Is there anything that scares you? <laughs> Right? Um, anything that doesn't make sense? You know, like one of my favorite ones, I mean, I don't like spiders per se, but one of my favorite things is I feel like my wife, she would, I mean, anything in the world, she would say, okay, I'm going to protect my family no matter what. But if she sees one spider, man, she totally changes. I mean, she'll be up on the wall. You know, I'm just like, what do you, it's that, do you see how small, no, you know, but anyway, and now again, I'm, I'm picking on the 99.99, like 99.9%. I don't think she's afraid of anything, but that little 0.01% is kind of hilarious. But, um, but you know, some people are afraid of death, right? Some people are afraid of what's going to happen for the next generation, which again, I think these are, these are things we need to think about, but it's just how do we respond to that? Some people are afraid of heights. And I just know as I get older, I get more afraid of that too. You know, like I, my body says you should be on the ground at a certain, at a safe level. But as you go up in the, in the air, it gets a little, some people are afraid of darkness, right? Some people are afraid of making a mistake, of not being perfect. Um, some people are terrified of what I'm doing right now, of speaking in public, right? And, um, and I, maybe I was at that one, you know, one time in the past, but, and hopefully I won't be in the future. But so far, I haven't died yet. You know, so hopefully, for anybody who needs some encouragement about public speaking, it doesn't kill you. Right? Um, some people, and, and I know for me, losing, losing my job could be a big fear. Because right? what does our job represent? It can re represent many things, but it could represent your, um, you know, your way of living. It could represent your identity. It could represent your value. Right, all of those things. And that was so, so critical before I came to Christ. That was almost my God, honestly. Right? If I did not have a job, who was I? Right? Those kind of things. And again, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it doesn't impact Christians. Right? But it's just those are some of the things. Or losing our, our house. And, um, you know, and there's just so many things that we can be afraid of. But really, here's the question is fear is going to come. Right? There are going to be things that are going to impact us. And we get to decide how we're going to respond to this thing. And so I want to give you some scripture uh, to help you with that. And so the prophet Isaiah in, in um, chapter 41, verse 10, he says, do not fear for I am with you. This is God. He says, do not anxiously look about you for I am your God and I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so what I'm demonstrating right now is when it comes to our life, when it comes to fear, what, what, what do we do with that? And remember, I just said, I, I commended the, uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites to go to God, to cry to God. So depend on God's promises. That's what we're doing when we read scripture. And in David, in, the, in Psalm 56, in verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, so he's not saying he wouldn't be afraid. He knew he was going to be afraid. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And then I would put in parentheses God, right? When we're afraid, we put our trust in God. 
And further along in that chapter in verse 11, it says, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so it's really about putting things in perspective. What are we afraid of and why are we afraid of it? In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare. So as a man, it lays a trap. So the fear of man lays a trap in front of us. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So that when it comes to our fear, we trust, we respond in trust. And Jesus, you know, in the Gospels and Mark, uh, this is around um, Jairus and his daughter who needed healing. One of the things he said to him, because he was so terrified, he was going to lose his daughter, right? And that's such a, a heavy-weighted situation when someone you love uh, may not make it. But he just tells him, he says, why are you so afraid? Um, just believe. Um, you know, and, and so there's just a couple of, uh, and I'm sorry, I, I misquoted that. It was Mark 5, <laughs> 36, so if you're taking notes. Um, but, you know, uh, there was a time uh, a couple weeks ago we were talking uh, with the worship team, and, and again, I'm just so thankful for the, the commitment and the time and the energy and the, that the, the worship team puts, puts uh, together for us, because you make it so easy for us to encounter God's presence. You make it so easy for us to worship, right? You're inviting us in so many ways. And so we were just chatting before, and they were, they were talking about their songs, you know, uh, and they're just like, okay, this song, uh, there's a song called God Turn It Around, and they were just talking about it, and they're like, I think I want to play that faster, you know. And, uh, you know, I like to tell jokes, right? So I, I thought, well, this is a good time to tell a joke. And I said, well, I think all of us want God to turn it around faster, right? And so I think, I think that's all you got to do, right? You just got to play the song faster, and then you get better results, right? And so when it comes to whatever we do, just pray faster, right? Read the Bible faster, right? All this kind of stuff. But... But really, I mean, when you think about it, God's truth is always there. We just come to it, and then we just finally say, okay, I'm ready to accept it, right? I'm ready to believe it. I mean, I just, I'm always puzzled about that. I'm like, I know, God, you're going to do, do this. You're going to make a way. You're going to provide a solution. But I don't see it. And you get stuck in the waiting, right? And you get stuck in trying to find a solution. But just knowing the whole time, whether it's a day, whether it's a month, whether it's a year, God already knows what's going to happen. It's almost like we just need to agree with it, right? And so I just want to encourage you in that way. Uh, God can turn it around faster. But I think we're a big part of that and how we're willing to come to him, how we're willing to uh, accept what he has for us. Okay, so God, turn it around. And, and that would be really in anything. How we pray, how we praise him, when we forgive others, when we receive forgiveness, when we confess and repent, we, we kind of get to decide how quickly we're going to pursue that, don't we? So I just want to encourage you in that way. Okay, so now we're, the, the people of Israel, they are afraid, right? And so in verse 11, and it says, and then they said to Moses, let me show you how faithful I am, right? Let me show you what great Christians I am, you know? And it says, and so this is how they respond. He says, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you done to us, or excuse me, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? And verse 12, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better to what? To serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Does that sound like a victorious mindset? No, no. You know, uh, uh, I don't know. There's so much going on here, and I'm, I honestly am so thankful for the scriptures, because I know I do not measure up many times when it comes to our faith. But these are examples for us so that we don't repeat them, right? That we are built on their faith, if you will. They have made the mistakes so we can learn from them. Um, but one of the things that people are demonstrating right here, right now, is their spiritual gift of complaining. 
Okay? So, and if you guys are familiar with the Bible, that is not a spiritual gift, right? It's actually uh, probably a gift of the flesh, if you will, right? You know, it's, it's a way to bring us away from God as opposed to to him. And Pastor James, I'm, I'm sure, is going to highlight that because it is a theme that we are going to see repeated of how the people respond is going to be in a negative way. It's going to be in complaining. And so, you know, again, we are not above this. So how, how do we face impossible situations, right? We, it's okay for us to fear. It's actually good if we cry out to the Lord, right? But then their next step is to complain. And so this is something I just, I really feel, um, there's, there's really so much going on here, but I just think about what they have seen so far. Remember, we, how many plagues were there? Do you guys remember how many plagues? There was 10, right? And how many of those plagues did, t- did God miss? He did them all correctly, right? So that is 10 out of 10. And my understanding, that's 100%, right? And so when number 11 comes, naturally that's the time when you say, okay, God's going to fail this time, right? He's 100% been successful and effective. Now this time, he's going to fail, right? And so when you think about it logically, does it make a lot of sense? No. No, it's a little bit like, what are you guys talking about, right? However, I understand in the face of fear, when we allow fear to capture us, we don't think rationally, right? We may not think spiritually, and that's exactly what they're doing here. They're trying to figure out, you know what? If we could just reverse the clock, go back, that would be better than what we've experienced so far and whatever promises God has for us in the future, right? Do you see how backwards that thinking is? They don't even know what they don't know. But they're still saying, what I know, I would prefer that, right? And so this is, I think, a big piece of our spiritual walk is we have no idea what God has promised for us. We have no idea what's ahead. And they they absolutely had no idea here themselves. And so there's a a big part of our walk that's about remembering what God has done for us, right? Just think about that, 100% accuracy. At what point does doubt come into our mind, right? If you just think about that, it's really... um, it's really interesting how we can work against ourselves um, in our faith walk if we don't do things God's way, right? And so he lays it out very clearly. And, you know, what's also uh, one thing I feel like God has shown us, or at least I hope he wants us to see, is you think about Moses and, and how he is in this situation. He's the leader of these people, yeah. right? And he is getting the short end of the stick many, many times, right? <laughs> they, are, they are pouring out on him. They're complaining to him. And so this is a burden that leaders face, right? And so I want to point this out because we have an anointed leader in this church too, right? And so these are things that Pastor James experiences, right? And, you know, I don't think anybody intends that to happen. But I just want you to know that that's, um, that's just one of the, the things of leadership. It's not all, you know, fun Sunday mornings, right? <laughs> it's all the other days in between. And, and so these are, these are things I just want us to be aware of. And <clears throat> so let's go to... Um, did I? Oh my gosh, I think I, I skipped something, didn't I? Okay. Let me go back. Okay, sorry. I, w- I meant to read verse 13. That's where I want to go. Okay, so let's go to verse 13 because it's, it's going to get good, right? This is good. Okay. And Moses said to the people, Fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14 The Lord will fight for you, right? And what do you have to do? You only have to be silent, okay? Now, here's, here's what they're doing, is they're saying, death is coming towards me, these Egyptians. 
I almost want, they almost want to run to it. Let me just go back, right? And what is he saying? He's saying, you don't need to be afraid. If you would just stand put, stay put, right? Stand firm. Because who fights for you? God. The Lord fights for you. Amen. And he said, you have to do something else. You have to be silent, right? Now, do you see how that kind of compares to the complaining? Because what does the complaining do? It's like it's undoing everything that God has promised. <laughs> it's talking yourself out of who you are in Christ, right? It's, it's all of these, you know, these truths get unwound, <laughs> right? And so there's a, there is power, there's wisdom, there's holiness in being silent sometimes, okay? And so some of us may need to hear that. When in doubt, when in fear, the best thing you might be able to do is to just zip it, right? <laughs> Zip it. Let God do the talking, right? Mm -hmm. Let him do his thing. Mm -hmm. And so in Psalm 46.10, we're encouraged. It says, be still and know that I am God. Yes. Okay. Now, I will tell you, I feel like, uh, you know, when you go through these lessons, when you get a chance to, to go through scripture, whoever's teaching it, you, you get to be the first student. Because really what God's doing is he's preaching a sermon to you. And so this was an area I feel like he was saying, hey, look, this is an area of your heart you need to pay attention to, Russell, right? Is your complaining is not doing so good. <laughs> this is an area I need to address. And so it is my responsibility as a leader, right, to confess my sins to you, right? And to show you, and Pastor James is so good, right, about being transparent, but to show you that my walk is not as good as I would like it to be, right? And so much so that he said when it comes to complaining, it's actually hurting me. It's holding me back. And here's the sad part is he said, the more I complain, I'm actually limiting the church. And you know that's not my heart, right? It's not my goal to have my life impact people negatively, but that's just what sin does. It has overreaching effects that we had no idea about, right? And so when it comes to sin, I mean, if it wasn't enough that we're sinning against God, it's also we're sinning against his people too, okay? And so the weight of sin, I don't know that I could ever give it justice of how bad it is, but really all I'm trying to say is don't let sin slide. Don't let it be something that's, eh, it's okay. God forgives me for that. Just take a holy position on that. Let, just let God work those things out in you. And so, I'll, you know, some of the things I complain about are people that I love and, and the health that they experience, right? And then, you know, maybe how I, I wish it would be different, how things could change, and that their perspective would change, all these kind of things. But I just felt like God was putting in my heart that, hey, you're putting all of this energy into complaining, and where is it getting you? It's almost like you're saying, okay, I'm just going to dig this hole deeper. That's really all I'm going to do. That makes me feel good because that's what I know, right? And so it's, you know, it just, again, just like the people of Israel, 10 for 10 God was, right? In those 10 plagues, 10 for 10. And I know that, right? He just showed that to me. We just talked about it. And still yet, I complain. Right? It still happens. And so, Lord, I just confess that I complain, and I don't want that to be part of my walk. And so, Lord, when I get to those ideas, those things where negativity wants to come out, when those, those lies and those things, those frustrations come out, Lord, I pray that you would replace that with your truth, that I would come to you and I would cry to the Lord, and I would be silent. Right? And so, Lord, I pray that this scripture would be over us. It, we would live it. It would just not be words on a page, but it would be your life-giving truth that transforms us. 
And so let's read those verses again in verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just only have to be silent. And uh, as we were talking about praying, um, excuse me, we were talking about leaders. So Moses, uh, he's an amazing man of God. Right? Part of what he was able to do is because he spent time with God. He saw God face to face. And again, we're talking about Old Testament stuff here, but I think we have a, a slightly different experience in the New Testament right, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but there is something wonderful about God's leader spending time with God. Right? And so these are prayers like if you're not sure exactly how to pray for Pastor James, how to pray for the pastors locally and the, and the, and the ministry leaders, is that we would pray that they would meet with God face to face. Right? They would set time aside and hear clearly from whatever God is saying. And then to have the boldness to speak it to us. Because that message is not just for the leader. Right? It is for the people. Right? And so that we would also hear that. And, just, and as I mentioned, you know, again, I, I still don't know that I can put it in words. But the hunger and the passion for worship and for pursuing God. And like I mentioned with the night of worship. Like that is just, it brings such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> To Pastor James, and so I just I know I know you know I'm not trying to make this all about him, right? It's but it's just that this is our anointed leader, who God has put, in you know to lead us, and the more he is in tune with God, guess what? The more we are in tune with God, the more we can hear clearly because we are going to spend time in God's Word on our own, right? We're going to spend time in God's Word in prayer and worship, uh, but we're also going to be blessed when we gather together as a corporate church, right? And so, uh, Lord, you know, may you continue to bless our leaders, Pastor James, uh, just with clear communication to him and the boldness for him to minister effectively. And, and you know, one of the things that Pastor James has shared with us is uh, God put some dreams in his heart. You know, I don't know that I know all the dreams. Maybe he's spoken them, maybe he hasn't. But one of the things is he is so blessed about this church here. But he feels like there is also um, that God has put like 10 churches in him. <laughs> and I mean, maybe we are 10 churches. I don't know exactly how that works, right? But there are possibilities that God is raising him up to have multiple church plans, right? And so again, I, I'm not here to say what God told him or didn't tell him, but I'm just saying if God's going to grow his kingdom, then let's pursue that. Let's grow that, right? And so that would be just whatever God has placed in his heart, the mission, right, that, that he would um, be obedient to that. And that he would, he would uh, just be effective in that, right? Like that it would grow. That this church would continue to be blessed. And whatever those other nine churches are, right? That that stuff would start to happen, right? It would start to form. And it would start to grow. And so, so again, you know, God's not done with any of us. And so that God would continue to bless him and lead him in those ways. And so because we see Moses here leading the people. Okay. And let's talk about what God has to say about this. In verse 15, it says, The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of those where I'm like, there's really a good reason he's crying out to you right now, God. <laughs> the people are ready to go backwards, right? Like, we, we've gone all this way, and then here they are complaining. They're like, hey, let's go back. Um, but, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know all the things that God's thinking here, but I think God has prepared him already. But what does he tell the people to do? To go forward. Now, I want you guys to get a little bit of a picture of this too. So if you, you know, if you're Israel and you're, you've just been sent out, so in front of you is the Red Sea. Um, and my understanding is to the left is a mountain, to the right is a mountain, and then behind 
is the Egyptians, right? What does go forward mean? Where, where exactly is that? Is that a good? Where, where's the good place to go and all that, right? I mean, did everybody bring their floaties? Are we going to go swimming? What, what's going to happen, right? And so, we, you know, we could climb a mountain, but basically we're just making a slower death, right? We're just going to have less energy. You know, we're going to make it easier for him to catch us, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. So where are we going to go? But he says to go forward, and and fortunately, there's more scripture there, right? And so in verse 16, it says, "Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it." that the people of Israel may go through the sea on, on dry ground, okay? I mean, there's many miracles in here, but, uh, you know, again, another one. But the, he's very clear about what he wants them to do. In verse 17, he says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud, excuse me, and yeah, and the pillar of cloud moved from them, from, from um, excuse me, moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without, um, without one coming near the other. Um, Excuse me. Yeah, without the other coming near all night. Okay, let me just say a little bit what just happened. So God has given very clear um, instructions about what Moses is to do. We're about to see it happen here in a second. Uh, but we have this wondrous concept of the pillar of the cloud, right? And I think Pastor James has explained that to us. Um, but it's just, I don't know, just in my mind, I just picture this cloud, and it just says, okay, the cloud's moving there. That's where we're going, right? You just follow that cloud. And then, but there's something special. It's not just, it's not just one type of cloud. There's a cloud also for nighttime. It's a cloud of fire, so it can provide light, right? Now, in this particular situation, this cloud is, is doing two things. It's leading the people of Israel to where they're supposed to go. It's giving them clarity. It's giving them visibility. But at the same time, that same cloud, and we're going to see it later, is actually um, confusing the Egyptians. It's not giving them good visibility. Some would even say it was almost like a fog. Like it would actually come down so low, they really had very poor visibility. Right? They didn't even know what was happening. But on the other side, where the uh, God's chosen people were, they had very clear vision, right? A very clear direction. Okay, in verse 21, so here is the obedient leader. and says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove, back, um, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, uh, dry land, and the waters were divided. So Moses is obeying. And, you know, I, I like jokes, right? So I'm just wondering at this point, he has put up his staff, right? And the waters have parted. And I mean, I think it's, I don't know, it's just amazing. You probably have seen movies about it, right? Probably at least 10 times where it says an east wind has blown. So just a wind strong enough to separate the waters and then create a wall. And we're going to talk about that on each side, right? And just so how amazing that is. But see, he just had to do this. And I don't know if they did music back then. You know, maybe he was a worship leader. But if he just like, dun, 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 you know, whatever, you know, whatever song he might say with the water dance, you know, and kind of go back and forth. I don't know. Maybe he'd want to splash somebody he didn't like. You know, I don't know. But, but he is holding the water back through God's power. And where's that power coming from? By obedience to God. He's doing exactly what God has asked him to do. And who's being blessed by that? The people, right? God's people. And then verse 22, and the people went in the midst of the sea on dry ground, it wasn't muddy, wasn't wet, and the waters being a wall to them on the right and on the left. And so just, just take a moment. I don't know how wide this was, 
right? But we're going to find out later it was wide enough for a chariot to go through. Right? It's wide enough for all of the people of Israel to go through, if you will. And so the, the ground is dry. Okay? I don't know what kind of wind they felt. Maybe they didn't feel anything. But if it was wide enough, right, maybe there's a distance. I don't think they're getting wet. Right? I don't know, you know if it looks like the side of an aquarium, if they could see fish floating around or whatever they see. Right? Maybe there's a sunken treasure. I don't know if there's, they had pirate ships back then. You know, I don't know what was going on. But there's this just majestic scene that God has made a way, right? And I'm just thinking, okay, so we're walking through this, and you gotta be thinking, this is not normal. This is not natural, right? I should be, I don't know how many feet down they were, but I'm sure it's over their head. And so they're probably thinking, this is really amazing. We are actually experiencing a miracle from God right now. But then, if they had any fear like me, they might be thinking, I better start walking fast, right? Because I don't know how long that water's gonna stay, right? I better, better get going. And so I just, it's just such an amazing thing that he parted the water. Amen. Now, what I loved about this is, do you, do you guys know that there was more than one time that water was parted? This wasn't the, the only example of water being parted. So uh, Joseph, I'm not sorry, jo- not Joseph, Joshua. <laughs> Guess who he followed? He followed Moses, right? And then you have Elijah also parts the water. And then who followed Elijah? Elisha. And then there's one more, God himself, in the beginning, God parted the waters, right? So, I don't know, just when God does a miracle, he's not usually a one and done. I mean, Jesus, that might be the exception, right? Jesus just needed to be one thing. But when God does something, he is capable to repeat it, right? He can do it multiple times. But this is just one example, and and actually a very great example. I I hope we capture that. But ultimately, God is, he makes a way, right? When things are impossible, when there is no way out, he has made a way. And, and what, did we, what did the people have to do? They had to not fear. They had to stand firm, right? And they had to be silent. Okay, in verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. And all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, and the, in the morning uh, watched the Lord of the pillar of fire and the cloud looked upon the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic. So I got ahead of myself a little bit there, but it kind of gives you an idea of that pillar of how it, it kind of caused confusion. And in verse 25, it says clogging. Another way to think of that is to jam. Some of the other ones would say uh, that the wheels of the chariots fell off, that they came off. And so instead of this weapon of war that moved fast and was quick, now all of a sudden it's an anchor, right? It's just like dead weight. They have to actually spend a lot of energy to move this thing. It says, by their chariots, so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So now at this point, the Egyptians have realized they're not just fighting against, you know, these civilians, God's people. They're fighting against God himself, right? They have now recognized that. And, you know, what I love about that sentence is the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And, and so when it comes to us, the Lord fights for us against who? Yeah. Is our, do we have Egyptians? I don't know if you have Egyptians, but you have something in your life that the Lord is fighting for you. And verse 26, and then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, uh, when the morning appeared, excuse me, and as the Egyptians, they fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots 
and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. And in verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and, the, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And in verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. So there's, uh, that, that concludes our section there, but I, I want you to see the first fear that they had, what did it lead them to? It, lead them, it led them to retreat, right? Remember when they saw the Egyptian coming, they wanted to go back. They're like, man, would, was there no graves in Egypt? We had to come out here to die. And then now they've been led to a fear of the Lord that's holy, a fear of the Lord that represents who God is, what he's capable of, what he has just done for them. They have experienced a magnificent miracle. You know, and one thing, too, I just I feel like God was showing here is that you remember the ten plagues, the people of Israel, they complained, right? They said, no, he can't do it this time. We're going to die this time. But also, if you, if you kind of switch the perspective and you think about it from the Egyptian standpoint, they basically were saying those 10 plagues were not enough. We still think we can defeat God. We still think we can take out his people. And so this is something that I, I just felt like God wants us to capture is this Red Sea crossing that just happened. That's what, that's what it finally took for the Egyptians to stop pursuing God's chosen people. And remember, if, if Egypt is a type of the world, the world's not going to relent, right? It's going to keep going after. It doesn't matter how many times it sees the power of God. It's going to take something like this where it's a significant event, right? The, where the, you know, the water came back upon them. Now, as, as you guys may be familiar, you know, all of this is, it's always in preparation and pointing to Jesus. So Moses was a deliverer, wasn't he? He was somebody, these guys were physically enslaved right in in uh, in egypt and he set them free right it's this it's what the exodus is all about is god setting his people free and again as as important as the 10 plagues were as important as passover is this red sea crossing is a big part of that whole picture right and so there's there's actually a lot of uh, great imagery here but i guess before i go too fast when it comes to jesus he's also a deliverer too isn't he yeah. right and the thing is i don't know that we're slaves in egypt are we Okay, but if we make the correlation, we make the metaphor connection, right? We're, this is, that was from a physical standpoint, but from a, a spiritual standpoint, we're all born slaves to sin. We're all, we're all you know, sins to um, slavery, you know, <laughs> slaves to sin is what I'm trying to say. We're all slaves to sin. But Jesus doesn't want to leave us that way, right? He came to, to set us free, right? That's what the cross is all about, that the sin that we, we do, that we've inherited, we put upon him. And he satisfies that payment, the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And what do we have to do? We just have to receive it, right? We have to love God back. We have to acknowledge that he is God. Now, there's some uh, wonderful imagery I just want to touch on real quick before we get into the Song of Moses. But, you know, in the, um, in the New Testament, um, that connects this particular event to baptism. 
And so you might be thinking, well, I thought baptism was I get immersed in water <laughs> and then I, I come out. I don't think the people of Israel got wet in this time, right? They, they walked across on, on dry ground. But I, wanna, I just want to paint a picture here, and I just want you to, to think on it and pray on it. But the, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 2, and he's talking about a couple things, but I want to get this particular image. I'll read it to you. It says, uh, for I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, so there's a, cop, there's a concept of that being a baptism. And what I want to just connect the dots a little bit with you on that is their old life, you know, being slaves in Egypt, represented who they were before they came across the Red Sea. Right? And then as they came across the Red Sea, they were delivered. Right? God made a way. They just had to walk in it. Right? They just had to go to the path that God had prepared for them. And then as they came across, now they are headed towards the promised land. Right? They are headed to where God's destiny is. Now here's the, here's the other crazy thing is, what happened to the Egyptians when they came? The water came back, right? Moses, he, he lifted his hand and the water came back. And so it's almost like God closed the door. He said that old life is not for you anymore. Whoever you were before you came to Christ, there, he's not going to make a way back. You want to get back there, sure, you've got to go around the sea. You've got you to build a boat. You've got to put a lot of time and energy to go back to who you were before Christ. It's, just, it's a one-way street. right? When we make that commitment, uh, we just move forward into what God is calling us to. And so it's just, um, there's just wonderful, tremendous Im- imagery in all of that. And uh, just, just some more scriptures you know, tied to baptism in Romans 6.4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him, with Jesus, by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, might, uh, we too might walk in the newness of life. And, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there, like the Chosen series, and, and there's also the Jesus Revolution movie, and, and there's so many good parts in that movie. But there's a scene in that movie about the baptism. And I think they do just, in my opinion, a really good job visually of demonstrating when you get baptized, the old, the old man, the old woman is, is passed away. The old life is, you know, dies, if you will. And then when you, we come back up, we resurrect in his new life. And so um, at this time, I would love to call up the worship team. We're going to uh, worship together. And as we do that, um, go ahead, if you don't mind, turn the lights down. I want to read to you the next part of scripture, which is the Song of Moses. Uh, because now that the people have gone through this miraculous event, um, now they feel led to express their love and appreciation for God. They want to celebrate him. And, and so I want to read, that, read this verse to you, and then we're going to worship together. So the Song of Moses, this is um, chapter 15, verse 1. And so the context is they've just been set free. They've been led into salvation. And it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. If you don't remember any other verse, remember that one. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Uh, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and he has chosen officers who were sunk in the Red Sea the floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone 
Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. And you send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. And at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, and the flood stood in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide my spoil. My shares, uh, excuse me, my desires shall have its fill in them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There is no one. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon all of them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are as still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by who you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. Place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought them back, the waters upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, also the sister of Moses, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with the tambourine and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So at this time, I want us to, to worship together. And as we worship, um, the worship team is going to lead us. <clears throat> There's this great victory that God has done. And he's done it in our lives. And so I just want to give invitation as we worship that you would just spend some time with God and you would ask him, where in my life am I not living in the victory that you call me to be? Is it areas where I'm not letting fear, um, you know, I'm letting fear, excuse me, guide me in the path that it's not, I'm not supposed to go? Am I, am I complaining? Is there, basically all I'm saying is, God, is, would you search my heart and know me? Would you show me where are the areas that I need to pay attention to? And so because we, we are people, I just feel like God wants us to, to be set free. He wants us to be victorious. And so I just want to spend a moment on that. And again, you might be in a spot where you're saying, you know what, I, I actually, I feel victorious in my life right now. I feel like things are going well. And so it doesn't, this doesn't necessarily have to be a time of that. It can be a time of, God, I'm asking that I would see more of your victory in my life. You know, there are places in, in my own walk, in my family, you know, in my careers, anywhere in my life, that I know you have more for me. And I know you've told me, you've made a way, you've told me that you can go, I can go right through. I know the situation sometimes can look 
possible, much like this crossing of the Red Sea. We cry out to God. We ask Him to show us. We pray for that leader to lead us. And if you can't find a leader, that leader might be you. Right? Might be calling you. But I just want to give I just want to give you an invitation to just just ask God to, to search your heart. What is it that I need to take away today? What is it that you're doing in me today? So go ahead and be in yeah, just a state of reflection, asking God and, and let's worship together. Drown in perfect 
and continue.